Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about the turmoil in the wholesale channel, where we saw shutdowns and layoffs all summer. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Love having you. Wow, there's no shortage of news. And you are the managing editor of our newsrooms. We have a global newsroom. So for Real Trends, for Housing Wire, for Reverse Mortgage Daily, um, you oversee all of that. So I know we have a lot to talk about. I think one of the things I'm most interested in is what is happening in the wholesale channel. Uh, where do we start? Um, this is... Right. Uh, this is this is a really big question, and um, I don't know that I'll be able to give it justice, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. So, uh, wholesale is uh, a pretty bloody space right now. We've talked, I think, in the past, Sarah, quite a bit about United Wholesale Mortgage and some of the aggressive pricing moves that they have made. Um, you know, a lot of other lenders in that channel have started to get a little bit closer to that price. They need to compete. They need volume. All of these businesses survive on volume. You know, you can't just originate, you know, or, or hope that you're going to originate a few really good loans. Um, you know, it, it's, it's about stringing together a lot of, uh, you know, different types of loans in, in a lot of cases. And so, um, you know, HomePoint and others that had been lagging UWM in price for a bit, they are, Right on their heels, um, but but that doesn't fully tell the story. You know, we, we've seen a huge amount of layoffs um, and and companies shutting down their wholesale operations over the last few weeks. Amerisave uh, shut down their wholesale operation and laid off quite a few people. Um, HomePoint has um, laid off. We don't exactly know the number because we're relying on uh, warrant notices, which you know vary. Uh, dramatically from state to state and in, in the reporting requirements. So we don't have a complete picture, but we're looking at probably a thousand layoffs, give or take. You know, it might even be more. Um, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, there were at least 500 alone in Texas. And, um, and, and we also know from people that we've spoken to who worked at Home Point um, in other states, New Jersey, California, uh, that, that, the cuts were much deeper than just Texas and Michigan, uh, where the uh, the company is located. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, for the most part, you know, I, I think the theme here is um, the very, very strong will survive and are you know throwing their weight around and looking to capture market share and are okay to take a loss temporarily if it puts additional pressure on competitors who decide that they can't make those numbers work. They can't, you know, take losses for three quarters, four quarters, whatever this ends up being in this really difficult cycle that we're in and and stick with that channel. So, um, you know, the, the story is, is twofold. It's layoffs, but it's also attrition. And it's about who's going to stick it out and, and who even can. You know, you need an incredible cash position uh, or very patient investors to take losses for consecutive quarters. And, um, you know, HomePoint is, is pretty much sold off almost every part of their business that, that wasn't, you know, like firmly chained down uh, to try to free up liquidity and, and to try to, you know, uh, close any, any, you know, major holes that they could on the balance sheet. Um, and, and the last, 
is always layoffs, right? I mean, you, you always try to cut vendor costs or, you know, maybe, maybe you don't go to as many conferences this year or whatever. Um, and then at the end, you, you just, you know, the, the money is in personnel. It's for almost every business in personnel. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what we're seeing right now. Well, and I think too, you know, we're, we're talking about struggling and certainly, you know, no one wants to have the, you know, losses and, and going from profit, you know, record profits in some cases down to, you know, record volume for sure down to this, but also, I mean, it's just right. I, I mean, people like to say right sizing, but truthfully, like for the next couple of years, I mean, you do not need all of those people on staff and it's sad. I mean, we, we have an empathy on a human level. Um, hate to hear about layoffs on a, on a business level. You're like, well, this is what you have to do. And this is, this is what will get you to the next level, you'll still be around, hopefully. Right. And, and right-sizing is, is about the market that you're in. You know, like right-sizing in 2020 and 2021 was about growing as quickly as possible um, in a lot of cases and, and really getting as many underwriters and, and closers and processors and LOs and trying to, to you know, produce as many loans as you possibly could. And now, you know, that we're, we're down, what, 40, 50%, you know, probably going to be even even worse over the next few quarters when the numbers come in. Um, and you just, you know, you, you can't have staffing levels of 2020 and 2021 when they don't have anything to do. You know, we, we did a story a few months ago um, about uh, some of the processors and underwriters that are disproportionately affected by these layoffs uh, because there are generally more of them. Right. And, um, and so many of them said, you know, wait, we knew that this was going to happen because I started with, you know, maybe I do 50 files a day. And then a month later, I was down to 25. And then suddenly I, I had a more dedicated relationship, you know, with the LO or a broker or whatever. And then, and then, you know, and then I was the last to, to, to get cut on the team because, you know, I survived other layoffs and, and it's just eventually my number got called because I just, I didn't have anything to do. I was, I was not busy enough, um, you know, to support the, there wasn't enough revenue to support that kind of position. And so um, the, the other thing that we're seeing, and I don't know if this is just a continuation of the existing trend or if it might represent, you know, kind of a new way of, of staffing these companies, but we're seeing offshoring. You know, it's not a new thing. It's been going on for a long time. And, you know, even in recent years, some of the companies pulled back and brought those jobs back from India and the Philippines and wherever. Um, and, and, now we're seeing, you know, processors and, and closers and, and a lot of operations staff primarily, um, but even Freedom, you know, according to sources of, of a, one of our reporters, Connie Kim, is, is uh, bringing some of their underwriting jobs overseas uh, through a, what is, I consider basically a staffing agency. And I, I'd never heard of that. I'd never seen that. I think that's really interesting. Um, I don't know if that's risky, you know, I personally as a home buyer as a homeowner be a little more comfortable if I were um, you know having someone in, in this country who's um, you know worked on US mortgages for 5 10 15 20 years uh, looking at my file more so than someone in you know wherever in India doing it but um, may, maybe I'm underselling their expertise I don't know but it's certainly something to keep an eye on I did uh, a cover story for the magazine oh gosh years ago on this exact on, at housingware on this exact um, topic and and actually you can have you know you can have some pretty great expertise and and you definitely have some um, offshoring that has been happening for a long time so maybe they tapped into some of that um, definitely you know I think people are very uh, 
I, I think companies are very aware that there's a lot of regulatory issues here. And so they don't, you know, and, and consumer experience is one of the things that drives complaints, which drives, you know, um, your, your regulator to look at things. So I, I think they're pretty careful, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to see that pop back up after, to your point, it was, um, it had gone at least a little bit more silent than it did. Um, but I wonder if that's also, did people staff, did, is that kind of how they used, uh, uh, agencies to staff up, uh, offshoring to staff up over the last two years. I don't know. It's kind of a black box to us. We don't always know um, how that's happening. So that would be that would be interesting. So we are going to be looking into it. So if anyone who is listening who has um, a lot of knowledge about uh, offshoring mortgage jobs through the Philippines or India or wherever, uh, please let me know. It's james at hwmedia.com. Um, one follow-up question there, James, is that you mentioned, you know, the big players who are, you know, can kind of throw their weight around. And we know that UWM in particular has had a very aggressive pricing strategy with the goal to, you know, knock out some of the competition. Do we know to what extent that was part of these, um, you know, shutdowns and layoffs that we've seen in some of the other wholesale lenders? Or have has anybody been really, you know, direct about it? Yeah, not, not exactly. I, I don't think there are a lot of these are generally very prideful people. And I think um, even if it were the case that UWM directly knocked out, say, Amerisave, for example, or whatever, I don't think they would just come out and say, hey, you're right, James, you know, it's actually, we just, we got totally, we, we got steamrolled by this product that they came out with. And we just decided, you know, the, the dollars and cents didn't make sense in, in um, you know, the broker space. And so we're, we're, we're just exiting entirely and laying off the entire operation, uh, you know, but I think it would be naive to think that it's not a big factor. Maybe it's not the factor, uh, but UWM just does a lot more traction with brokers than other companies. And, you know, they hook you with technology and they make the process easy and they incentivize brokers, especially new brokers who haven't done business with them to work with them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, depending on the way you see things, you know, it's either a great proposition, a great partnership, or it's, um, you know, one that they're willing to accept, even if um, it doesn't pay as well as some of the other lenders, but, but they can, they can turn around a file real quick. They, uh, they're a machine. They are absolutely 100% a machine. And, um, you know, brokers, like all sales professionals, they're about making money, right? So, um, if UWM is giving them, you know, a good product, I think they're going to use it. So it's it's tough for a company that has other focuses um, that spends more time and and more you know more brain space you know in retail or consumer direct or maybe they're correspondent heavy or focusing more on MBS or whatever. I mean, there are so many different types of mortgage companies out there. You know, I think it would be um, foolish to think that they that we should only have you know like very strict um, you know. We only care about wholesale types out there. So if if it's not their strength, it's not their strategy. Um, they're they're gonna double down on what they do think works and what will enable them to survive and maybe in a future cycle even thrive. But I mean, by the way, like no one is exactly doing great right now. You know, like the market doesn't spare anybody. It's just UWM has the large S, Rocket has the large S. You know, they can take risks. They can they can take a loss for a little bit longer or they're more willing. Uh, you know, uh, even if everybody gets the same handed poker, it doesn't mean they'll play it the same way. And so they're they're going to keep doing this. Um, and, and by the way, you know, 
UWM was the biggest purchase mortgage lender over the first half of the year. They originated $42 billion in purchase mortgages from January through June. That's about 60% of their distribution. And that's about 5.1% market share. It's about the same as Wells Fargo. And, uh, you know, it's, um, you, you look further down, Rockets at number seven, they're at 25.6 billion. These statistics are from inside mortgage finance, of course. You know, it's, it's, um, it's the only way you're going to get business right now, unless you're working on like home equity or you're, you're really good at other products or your servicing business is going so well right now that you don't have to worry about originations as much as maybe your competitors. So it's, um, it's, it's a fascinating time though, even, even if it's difficult and everybody's getting clocked to some extent. It's a great point. And speaking of those top two competitors, um, Rocket Pro TPO uh, took the first move this week to up their um, conforming loan limits. And then U- UWM followed. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So <laughs> this happened last year as well. Um, it, it happened a lot later last year. I want to say it was like the end of September, early October that uh, you know some of the lenders, I want to say UWM and maybe Penny Mac. It's all a blur. Regardless. Yeah, it's, it's all a blur, but, but they were the first out of the gate last year. I want to say it was like early October, late September, and they decided that they were going to, um, you know, basically accept um, mortgages, raise their ceiling on conforming loans. And they did that really for the same reason that they're doing it now, and it was just to pump up as much volume as possible. Of course, the environment a year ago was so different. You know, rates back then were at what, like two nine or something at this point, you know, something like that. They were in the low threes or so. And, um, and you know, they were, they were just looking to get as much as possible, storing those egg corns for winter. And, and today it's, it's just, it's, you have to, <laughs> you need to get every loan you can fight for and you have to be as competitive and, um, you know, you can't be sparing. And so this is aggressive. Uh, so Rocket was the first out of the gate this year. They announced it on Tuesday. They were going to match conforming loan limits. They're, they're putting their number at 715 thousand and then for Alaska and Hawaii uh, which which kind of has special statutory provisions on conforming loan limits because they're really high cost areas it's it's uh, I believe just over a million and um, wow they're, they're doing it what four months early you know uh, and the FHFA is going to come out with their official uh, numbers in late November and I think what you're probably going to see is, you know, 715 is going to be the conservative number. It's probably going to be a little bit higher than that. Uh, but it's um, it wouldn't be wise for UW and Rocket to say like, oh, it's going to be 770 and then it ends up being, you know, 750. And then you've got a bunch of loans that you you can't sell to the agency. So um, it's I don't think it's particularly risky. You know, these are these are loans that maybe otherwise would have jumped into the jumbo land. So they're going to be competing uh, for business, and um, it's it's a competitive advantage for brokers, definitely. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if others follow. Uh, you know, just because everybody has to keep up. If your two competitors are able to to beat you by you know fifty grand or whatever it is, um, that's pretty significant. So. We'll uh, we'll see how that goes. So interesting. I I don't remember in the past people front running the conforming loan limit increase like they like they do now. Like they started to last year. Maybe I'm our listeners. Let me know if I'm wrong. But um, I don't remember this sort of front running by this much time. Yeah, I mean there is a formula to it, and so if if you're maybe better at statistics than I am, you know, you, you could go and and you could look at um 
you know, what, what the, what the numbers, I, I believe they use the HPSI numbers. Uh, essentially it's, it's, you know, a lagging indicator and I believe they finish it with the September numbers. So they're, they're just getting ahead of things and saying, okay, you know, if, if we already have through X date, you know, we just need to add on, you know, a few more numbers from, from this quarter and, you know, home prices are not so unpredictable that you can't, you can't figure it out. So I, I feel pretty good about saying that you're probably going to see, you know, other lenders follow suit in the next week or two, but yeah, definitely. It's getting earlier and earlier every year, right? So um be interesting to see what happens next year. Are they going to do it in, in July? Or are they going to say, it's, hey, it's like we're decorating gonna, for we're going to hold these loans. Until- yeah, it's like decorating for Christmas, like Christmas decorations that, you know, Michael's in like July or something. I don't know. It, it's it's wild, but it makes sense when you think about how fast home prices have appreciated in past years. That conforming loan limit was was more conservative because we didn't have that run up in, in the home price growth, which I'd love to talk to you about because I think we're seeing a slowdown in that now. Uh, maybe you can run through that. We are. Yeah, we, we've finally seen uh, a decline from, it was July, prices declined from June, which is the first sequential drop in quite a long time, certainly pre-pandemic. And, you know, it, it's really a continuation of an existing, a relatively recent existing trend, which is, yes, home prices are still rising, but the rate of growth is slowing. And so depending on who you talk to, you know, we'll probably see annualized home price growth end the year in the 10% range, you know, which is still pretty high, of course. Uh, but if you compare it to say last year, you know, it was like, what, almost double that, you know, we're, we're like, 19, 20%, something like that. And depending on where you were in certain markets, I mean, way higher than that. And that's still true in some of the hottest markets in the country, even if their growth rate is slowing. I mean, if you're paying 25% more than you were last year at this time, I mean, who cares what the stats are? Like that's, that's a real, that hurts your wallet. You know, it's not, it's not a change for, you know, for you. (laughs) Well, and we see those, you know, Florida tends to have some of the highest um, high growth markets, right? And so you think, wow, you know, I, yeah, Tampa. I mean, it's crazy. Tampa, great example. I think it was over thirty percent last month, and that's over last year, which was already crazy. So, you know, that's one of the things when you think about home prices slowing, or say, say they have, say they come back to down to ten, you're still probably fifty percent over where you were pre pandemic. Um, I'm not, you know, obviously it depends on the market, but like it has to fall quite a bit to even get back to just quote unquote normal, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we are not going to see a bottoming out. We are not building enough. We are not seeing enough inventory come out of the market to really, you know, drop these numbers down significantly in a lot of markets. There are, I think, a handful of markets where we've seen very small declines, but I mean, this is this is not going to be like oh eight, you know, or anything like that. Where if you just wait, you're going to be able to buy a house for a song. I, I think prices, for the most part, are going to hold very steady. There might be isolated weird markets where, you know, people are just asking for insane figures, and and maybe they would have got it last year, and they're just not going to get it, so they're going to have to drop their price. But I mean, no one's no one who currently owns a home, I think in in you know, hot markets in America, say you're in Boise, you know, maybe you're not going to get 1.3 like you would have a year ago. If you have, I, I think they're they're tacky, but the barnyard doors and you have, you know, like the, the ship lap and like that whole HETV, you know, like bland. I have a barn door. Characterless. So thank you. Okay. 
who wrote the checks for this company? No, maybe I, maybe I misspoke. Brunders are great. Um, yeah, but 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 back back to the point here, which is you're probably going to take a smaller number because it's just it got too hot and there was no way to sustain uh, a market like that. And and so you're going to see declines. I, I believe it was CoreLogic who put out a report earlier this week and they they looked at five markets they think are are going to see uh, or or the five markets that are most likely to see big uh, price drops over the next year and the highest ranking market I believe it was Bremerton uh, which is just outside Seattle really I, I love the area it's beautiful out there in the Pacific Northwest but they they pegged it at a 70% plus likelihood of major price declines and of course Boise is up there as well uh, and so you know it's it's um it's not going to be as hot but it's not like you're going to be able to buy these these homes on on the market in Bremerton in 2023 for like four hundred thousand dollars. You know, it's just it's not going to happen. They're they're still going to retain a lot of value because they're still desirable areas. You know, people move to these places for a reason, and it's not like everybody's getting called back to the office. And uh, you know, the whole migratory pattern of the pandemic is just you know disappearing out of nowhere. It's not. People, these are permanent moves. These are permanent changes. People are not moving back from Raleigh, Durham, to go back to New York City. I mean, in some cases, maybe a few folks will will uh, you know decide Florida wasn't really the place they wanted to be after all, and they'll they'll leave Miami. But I mean, at this rate, I, I just I don't see it. I think these are you know uh, migratory trends that were were probably already going to happen, and and they just got supercharged. And and these are the markets we have now, and um, and they're going to remain hot markets to an extent. Well, and the you know the latest mortgage rates are getting closer and closer to six percent. Of course, that's a that's an average, and it's also um, you know we we know that it's gone over six percent for different people in, in different areas. So, again, if you're yeah. sitting there in your house in Boise with you know a two point eight five or three three percent mortgage loan, why are you going to even if it's you know even if house prices are cooling, you're not like oh let me go sell this house and go you know, lock in a 6% loan. That sounds great, you know, unless there's some reason to do it. So yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I mean, not happening. we're just not going to see the inventory come online. We, we had mortgage demand fall, um, you know, with the pressure of those higher rates this week. We, um, and actually that was, uh, the report was on last week's mortgage rates, but, um, you know, mortgage demand's going to fall for all the reasons we've said, like prices are up, mortgage rates are up and there's not a lot of inventory. So that's keeping those prices high. So no, uh, no help coming that way. I think. No. And, and rates are at the highest level they've been since what, 2008, you know, it's, it's, it's been a while since we've seen them. And, and of course, home prices weren't as high as they were in 2008 either, even, you know, proportionally. So it's, um, it's, it's just an absolutely brutal market. If you don't have to buy right now, I don't know why you would. You know, if I, I would just rent personally, if, you know, well, why buy at 6%, you know, if, if you know that you're, you're more likely to see uh, a year from now or two years from now, you know, rates drop down, let's say they're in the fours, you know, and you probably have more inventory coming on in, in two years as well. And, and especially depending on where you live, if you're in the Sunbelt, you know, there's going to be a lot more inventory. So it's, yeah, it, it's just basically the worst time to buy in a very, very long time. And I just, I don't see people jumping at the chance if they don't have to at this point. So yeah, we're, we're going to see compressed demand for quite some time, I think, unless rates really do start to drop. It'd be interesting. We're keeping an eye on the economic part. What are some other stories that the newsrooms are looking at? 
we are looking we're looking to do another feature on uh, what's going on with offshoring, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast. So we've got that on cue. We are also doing a deep dive into the correspondent channel. Not a lot is written about correspondent. Um, the margins are low, and it's uh, it's a pretty scrappy space. So we're looking into that, and uh, and we've also got a, a check in on how the uh, how the folks in the the POS market are doing. So uh, I would recommend everyone check back in the next day or two, and and we'll have at least one or two of those stories coming. James, thank you so much. Looking forward to reading those and really appreciate you taking your time to uh, get on and, and give us the latest. Thanks, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW Plus, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.